right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here alongside Connor Neville of RT Sport Online. You can listen to us on RT.ie, Spotify and Apple. And you can also watch every episode on YouTube and subscribe to the RT Sport YouTube channel, where you can also get the RT Rugby Podcast and the GA Podcast as well, as well as clips and match highlights. We're joined today by Paul Corey and David McMillan and journalist Jonathan Higgins, who has been following the end of the Women's Premier Division title race and the Cup semi-finals as well. But first, let's talk with the boys in green who lost 2-0 to Greece at the Aviva on Friday, but won 4-0 over uh, Gibraltar and Faro last night. And Connor, I mean, coming into this window, there was already a sense of limbo, and coming out of this October window, it's sort of the same feeling as well. Yeah, um, I was... I mean, there's a kind of a dual narrative because Stephen Kenny has galvanised a segment of Irish football, but I... Uh, I watched the game on Friday in Donegal. I was at a, I was on a golf weekend, Raf. So oh. I played the, uh, we played the fifty fifth best golf course in the world, which was uh, great fun. I mean, I was so impressed with the course, I decided to donate a few golf balls to it. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you'll you'll have to scavenge around in the rough to find them. But we watched the game that evening in Donegal, home of Shea Given, Seamus Coleman, Packy Bonner a million Celtic fans and I was very struck by the apathy for the Greece game on Friday we watched it in a pub or at least I did and very few other people seemed to be that engaged with it they'd, I, I'd make a noise when something happened and then some people would look around at the screen you know and that was that was effectively what it felt like uh, a stark contrast with the rugby the following day so yeah it seems to be petering out and it's probably to be expected given that the the group is is winding away. I, I'd imagine I wasn't around for this, and nor were you. But I don't. It feels like kind of the end of the own hand era, sort of uh, that kind of wasting away to an inevitable conclusion. Yeah, Jonathan, I don't think you're um, you're of that age either in terms of being around for the uh, the own hand era. I presume. No, um, no, it's just a memory now in the background. Maybe it's like one of Connor's golf balls gone, never to be seen again. Um, yeah, you are, you are right though. I think like you, you have the opposite end of the, the spectrum, really, with our sport at the moment. Okay, fair enough. The weekend gone by, but prior to that, if you're looking at Friday night, you had it felt like a football game that nobody was interested interested in, except to give out about afterwards. There was no hype. There was no general sports fan interest into it, and then you had. The, the juggernaut that was the Rugby World Cup and the hype and the four years of hype and everything that, that came with it. It's just the, the contrast between the two has never been, probably never been further apart, re- really, has it? And like, I, I mean, is that the caveat that we're looking at now that Irish football is determined by the bandwagon supporters or for want of a better word at times? Mm. I don't know, but we are in a place where we're at a very depressing place. There's no way they're putting it. Even last night, like it's damned if you do, damned if you don't type of scenario really, isn't it? And I think it was touched on a couple of times, but the lack of any real celebration for most of the goals probably sums things up. It's definitely like, I felt for Stephen last night, even like when he had to kind of, I'm not sure, did he miss your Tony's question initially about, is this your last game? Uh, it, on a personal level, it was hard not to feel for him. It was probably the one time that he's probably, shown a bit of um, the emotional because he's usually quite brunt and abrased at times sh- shutting down uh, questions but yeah look it's it's just a pitiful place at the moment really isn't it and it's it's hard to see 
a way out of it because I keep going back to the, the two things it's players and who else are we going to get you mentioned Stephen Kenny's injury so we're going to get uh, Paul and David's uh, assessment of the Gibraltar game but let's first listen to the uh, Stephen Kenny post-match interview with Tony O'Donoghue a professional performance job done 4-0 were you happy? yeah I think obviously the disappointment from the other night to it's important that, that doesn't allow the players' spirit, and I think they they were very professional and worked the goals well. I felt some good football and you know, well worked, good movement between the full-back swingers and and midfield players, and good interchanging and good timing of the runs for the goals from from the attacking players. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a good win, and uh, in terms of scoring form, we could have scored a lot more. And th- these games can be difficult if you don't. You know, get the goals that you need, and uh, it was important. So, in the end, it was very comfortable. You talked uh, pre-match about passing channels, particularly on the left. But funnily enough, it was passing channels on the right that brought the the reward early on. Yeah, no, I was just speaking to Liam. Yeah, and, and of course, Matt uh, is a very intelligent player. Matt, uh, he sees things and great way to pass, and um, so he linked it up well. They linked up well on the right, and obviously we got the two goals from us. So that was that was a good start for us. Mikey Johnson was named Player of the Match in the end, and right, yeah. yeah, and uh, I always know that you you do like a winger. He brought so much to to, uh, to our play, didn't he? Yeah, um, you know, I do. I love wingers, absolutely. You know, adore wing play. Just <laughs> so it's been uh, to get him. That's his fourth start, of course. To get him, uh, he needs to play matches. He's too good not to be playing football, and uh, so it's. Uh, you know, it's it's great that he uh, he did well himself and Chidozi. So now all of a sudden it looks like we have wingers who can who can who can make an impact if if Mikey can get get game time, and uh, obviously uh, Mark Sykes coming on as well and in in that position and and we have one one more coming on on stream. So um, we just need better options in those areas and they're they're helping provide it. You've done a few systems during your time. I mean, would the the four three three be one you'd be looking to go back to against better opposition? You might say. Yeah, it depends on the availability of players. For example, like you might, we might look. You know, <laughs> the championship is just so relentless for for players' games. That you know, four players had hamstring operations uh, over the, over the year. You know, which you know, you, sometimes you look at France, for example, and they come, you know what their squad is. It's always, it's never a change. They never have anyone missing or they might have one missing, you know, or whatever. But then the championship is just so, so the more players you get in the Premier League, the better. It's one match a week and you might play in Europe if you're at a top club, if you're not. It's one match a week and it's less less on the body. So the championship is just every three days and the, the explosive players like Ogbenia, we missed him in the summer because he, he his hamstring, Callum Robson hamstring operation, Callum Adow, the Troy Parra. All, all hamstring operations, so they, it can be it can be tough, uh, relentless. So certainly, uh, it's to have uh, regular uh, consistency in the squad would be ideal, and have have that level and coming toward that more options now in different positions, a lot of options at centre back and so forth. Netherlands won late late winner in in Athens. Um, how does that affect the? The, the group in terms of the possibility of a World Cup playoff and how will it affect your approach to the game in Amsterdam? Uh, at the moment, I'm not sure of the exact permutations. Um, post-game obviously depends on other results. Uh, they're likely, it's, it's still more unlikely than likely. And I think uh, regardless, uh, you know, we have to go to Amsterdam and try and, try and, get, a, try and get a win if we can. You know, I think obviously... Uh, 
I mean, is it in your thoughts at all, Stephen, that it might be your last game? The players again tonight have been so supportive of you and what you're trying to achieve. Is tonight the last game? No, if, if that the game in Amsterdam could be. Will that be in your thoughts? Well, we have New Zealand after that. I think, from from my point of view, um, listen, we, the games against Holland and France at home have been uh, real, real good games. Uh, real, real good games that we we haven't managed to. We obviously narrowly beaten them both, and. Uh, so we've got to go and go to Holland. Obviously, they need to win to qualify, and they're obviously very top in top six team in the world, and you know. But from our point of view, we've got to be get organised, go there, and put in a performance that gives ourselves a, a chance of getting a result. Well done, thank you. Thank you. All right, so that is Stephen Kenny speaking to Tony O'Donoghue and Faro, and that's after the four 0 win over Gibraltar. And we'll come back to a few of those points because they're kind of relevant to both uh, the Greece game, which we'll speak about in more detail a little bit later on but uh, first I suppose David on the actual positives which were the goals and particularly the first two because it, they seem to be almost carbon copies with Ogbeni and Doherty linking up and uh, then the uh, you know the the forward player whether it was Evan Ferguson as centre forward or Mikey Johnston as the winger uh, cutting inside um, obviously as a striker I'm sure look it looks easy from the outside for a lay person like myself but I imagine that type of goal is actually a tricky one for a centre forward to kind of turn home it's probably a lot of what we haven't seen in the last couple of years. Um, obviously, the, the system we play with three at the back hasn't lended itself to, to wing play or combinations down the sides. And um, it was actually a really good play, I think, by Bennett for the first goal. He kind of stands up two defenders and he nearly has to look back to Matt Doherty and say, come on, get on here and uh, and make an effort, get in behind. And Doherty does that. It's a brilliant ball from McBenna. And Yeah, it looks probably like a really simple finish for Ferguson, but, you know, it's a bouncing ball and he just kind of didn't even connect with it perfectly, but enough to get it into the back of the net. And um, obviously good from an Irish perspective, the more goals he can keep sort of ticking uh, ticking along with um, will help him grow. Obviously, he's still such a young player. We're expecting so much from him, um, but it's not easy up there. And, you know, even when you're playing Gibraltar, you're probably going into the game thinking, from a striker's point of view, I'm going to score a lot of goals, but it doesn't always work out that way. So it was great to get him on, on the score sheet. And I just thought in general, the game in isolation, I thought it can, they can be tricky games. I remember Mick, I think it was Mick McCarthy's first game in his second spell. And we went to Gibraltar to, to kind of end the Delaney. And it was a real, real struggle to win 1-0, albeit on their, their AstroTurf pitch. But those games just can be sticky. So it was good to see us perform well and, and make a lot of chances and, um, obviously four goals on the night but probably could have been a couple of more and I think it was a performance like Friday night the lads are right it was a real even in the stadium it just people were leaving after 80 minutes it's it's kind of something I haven't seen in the in the Kenny's time um, it really felt like there was nothing on the game and, and the way the game went it was it was a real dead rubber and it was good just to see a little bit of positivity albeit I know that the, the opposition obviously weren't of any sort of decent level but to still go and just get some goals and, and put some positivity on it was was good. Yeah, and uh, Paul, just as David said there, obviously it's a bit of a hiding to nothing against uh, Gibraltar. I mean, you, you, at the end of it, you have to put the performance in, you know, put the goals past them, etc. But it doesn't really move the dial. But I wanted to come back to a point that, uh, that Stephen made in the post-match interview there, and it's around how detrimental the championship is physically for the players. And I don't know, is that something that you kind of concur with? Yeah, I mean, it's it's relentless with regards to the number of fixtures that you have to play. And he's right in saying that, you know, there's, you know, at times three games within a week and it's difficult to to recover in between 
the the matches that are played. But I mean, the players that he listed there, I think Callum Robinson was one, Troy Parrott was another. Didn't play a huge amount of games in the championship last year, either of those players. So it's hard to kind of link the injuries that they've had to overload on the body. So, uh, yeah, I mean, his point around getting more players into the Premier League for me was probably more relevant. I think that is something that we are constantly striving to do. And the more players we have playing at the higher level, the better it is for our our national side. And you can kind of see even in Ogbené's performances, just the spring that he has in his step at the moment. He seems to have kicked on again in the last 12 months and him playing for Luton, he seems to have forced himself into the starting 11 and just the exposure that he has playing against top-class players in the Premier League every week is certainly kicking him on to the next level. Evan Ferguson's another. I'm not sure you can directly link the availability of our players to the number of players we have playing in the Championship. It is relentless. It's very physical. But I'm not sure it's played at the same speed that the Premier League is. Um, so, yeah, listen, it's. I found it a bit of a funny answer. I wasn't really too sure where he was going with that. But I think overall it was a relatively positive night um, for, for the players in particular. I don't think it does a huge amount for the overall squad, Rafa, or, or for Stephen Kenny's tenure, but I think it was important for individuals just to have a positive performance, to actually win a game, create chances and score a couple of goals. The more we can keep Evan Ferguson ticking over, the better it is further down the line. Uh, I thought Mass and Ogbené did really well down that right-hand side. I thought even on Friday night when we played against Greece, it looked like our only sort of threatening avenue down that side. So to see that combination was good. And then to bring the likes of Ryan Manning and Mikey Johnson in certainly a positive. Um, Jamie McGrath is a funny one for me. If you look at it, even though Benny's situation, like he was brought in under Stephen, then he was cast aside and then he's been brought in again. It has the same sort of feel with Jamie McGrath. Jamie McGrath was excellent if you go back two years ago when we played Portugal. And in certain games, he's been really good in regards to kind of retention of the ball, creating chances. And he has probably a bit more of an eye for slipping people in in the final third that maybe a Malumbi or a Brown doesn't have. I can't really understand why he hasn't played more games within this group. Um, the last game he started was against Gibraltar, and then he, he's been in the squads and hasn't featured another game. So just strange how players like that have been cast aside and then brought back in again. But it's it's very hard to take too much from the performance other than sort of the individuals getting confidence back in that shirt. Yeah, and before we, um, I suppose, talk about more negative aspects, which is, Pretty much the the Greece result, um, David. Just on Liam Scales, obviously his story. He's been playing Champions League with Celtic, um, this year, having started his uh, you know, his professional career, um, at UCD, and then obviously going to Shamrock Rovers. It's a great story for him, and then I suppose getting um, his first couple of caps in this window. Yeah, amazing story for him. Obviously, to and I saw Brendan Rodgers' comments recently that he's kind of one of the surprise players he's ever come across. I think. Liam himself probably wanted out of Celtic in the summer to go and play football. Didn't obviously expect he would get game time there with the competition that he had. Had obviously a good second half of the season with Aberdeen last year and um, injuries at Celtic have sort of given him an opportunity to come in and he's obviously impressing his, his manager at club level and to be playing in those games in the Champions League um, the likes of Lazio, things like that. It's just, it's, it's a phenomenal level to be playing at and it's very rare that now at the moment to have any Irish players doing that. So, it, you know, he's the only one playing in the Champions League. And obviously on Friday night, he, he started at left back and probably not. He's done that a bit. You know, even at Chamber Rovers would have played the, the left of a back three. But, uh, you know, for Celtic, he's been playing centre-half. So even for Stephen to, to take Nathan Collins off and, and leave Liam on was, was a big call. And, um, you know, I thought he, he, he performed quite well on the night and obviously a comfortable night the other night from against Gibraltar. But, 
brilliant story for for any young League of Ireland player, you know, starting out even at UCD like myself and Paul would have done to, to go on. He did so well for Shamrock Rovers and now proving himself at the top level in the Scottish Premier League and in the Champions League and to get those first caps, it's a, it's a real good story. Yeah, now let's listen to Didi Haman and he was reacting um, in studio after the uh, 2-0 defeat to Greece on Friday nights and then we'll, uh, we'll discuss the Greece game after that. Well, we talk about international football here. He's won, what, five in 27 games? People, 41,000, I'm not sure whether 41 were here, but it's 30,000 on a Friday night. They bring the hard-earned money here. They bring the kids here. They deserve better. They had nothing to cheer for the last three years. There was nothing to look forward to. There was, there was a, I think the best result was probably a win against uh, Scotland in the, in the Nations yeah, League. Yeah, the 3-0 match, yeah. Yeah. So this is one game in, in four years? Are you kidding me? And now we're talking about maybe this guy staying on. Nobody wants anyone to lose their jobs. Mm. But obviously you get, you get, uh, you get charged on, on what you do and, 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 and on results and whether there's improvement. There hasn't been any improvement. He's been kidding the public for the last three years. He's been saying there's improvement, we, we pass the ball, we do this. Nothing. But, but he's, there's a lot of factors involved in that. But he did have a vision. He wanted this team I've to play. I've got the vision, Dara. I've got the But he wanted, no, wait, he wanted his team to play in a particular way. Yeah. He didn't want to. And this, this led to a huge kind of, if nearly every match was a referendum in how we wanted our team to play. Yeah. Did we want to play beautiful, attractive football? Or do we want to go to kick and rush stuff? We knew there would be problems. We knew there would be issues with it, teething problems, all of that stuff. But it, it kind of divided Irish football right down the middle. And that yeah. division is going to be there in the, tonight and in the morning and beyond. Yeah, but how long has a, has a, has a kid teeth in problems? Not for five years. Because once you've got your teeth, it's done. We've no Bongella left. Yeah, no, anyway, but, yeah. but they, I, I want to see successful football. Yeah. I don't care how they play. Okay, and people, so people had a go at, at Mick and... And, and, uh, and O'Neill and Trapattoni. Yeah, and, they had yeah. a go at them, but they, they went to tournaments. Yeah. This team is miles away from going to a tournament. They were third seed, they finished fourth. Now, next time they go in the, in the World Cup qualifying, they won't get an easier group because obviously the ranking goes further down. Mm. And they played a team, they got outplayed, outfought today by a team that's four positions above them. And you've got to give the team the best possible chance to succeed. And if you see this is not working, you can't say for four years, I've got a plan. Or maybe if, if the FAA asks him now, he might say, well, I'm halfway there, I need another four years. Now, do you want to... Do you want to let the people watch this for another four years? You know, if you do this for another year, this will be empty. They can yeah. play against France or Germany. This, yeah. this place the, will be empty. The, thing that the, the, the fans are they're voting with their feet, aren't they? They're not turning up with the Friday night or the weekend. The rugby's tomorrow. You come to Dublin for the weekend, support the boys in green, both soccer and rugby, and get really behind the nation. But you can see it's very flat out there. And, and then we talk about there's no sponsor at the front of the shirt beforehand. Does that all coincide with results and, and, and the person on the head of all that? So... There's a lot of problems, and I think maybe finances. There's always been an issue with finances with FEI, so maybe they're they're, they're handcuffed the with, with that. Years. Yeah, yeah. So that's an issue also. All right. So that is uh, Shea Given there, and before that, Didi Hamman. I think uh, also during the coverage, he had mentioned that um, and Connor that this was uh, rock bottom in terms of Ireland's performances under Kenny. I think maybe Athens, perhaps maybe was that sense of uh, rock bottom, or how well, do you see it? Athens was probably more of a jolt because I think there was more expectation. This was kind of after the damage had been done. So I think people were resigned. Uh, I think before we go any further, the FAI need to hear Didi's vision. Yeah, yeah, I caught that. Before we make any moves, that's 
that should be a first order priority. I generally, I mean, people talk a lot about the style of play. I mean, I, I think it's dependent on the players primarily. I mean, I often wonder about this notion about going back to a, a sort of dinosaur, the pre-Kenny uh, era sort of approach and the Kenny era, whether it makes a whole pile of difference. Well, it, it makes a difference how the team play, but I mean, it, that's determined, I think, further back the chain in the development of players. I mean, I think there's a limit to what an international manager can do in a few days. And Kenny has possibly tried to do too much with the quality of players we have at the minute. I mean, I don't think we can play winning football playing this way. We seem, and we also seem to leak goals a lot more easily than we did in previous eras. I mean, we, we used to be, I mean, I always think about Athens, you know, if Trapp had been Ireland manager going to Athens, I mean, he'd have got, a, got us a goal, a straw. No problem, you know that that was his kind of uh, raison d'être. That was that was that was his speciality, um, and yet we kind of leaked so many chances in that game. We we're lucky to lose two one, I think. Now we could have scored late on, but we seem to be a lot more leaky. I think possibly for this group of players we have at the minute that have that have arrived at this point that our system has produced and that we've managed to procure. The next manager will probably look to shore up at the back and get a more solid foundation there because we you know we're i think we're leaking too much and greek greek greece wandered through us a bit too easily i thought in the first half um and yeah um one of the most sobering things incidentally about the, the players is you know a year ago nathan collins after that famous goal in ukraine and that series of fantastic performances in the in the nation's league in the summer of 2022 when he looked like he was going to be the central defender of with the linchpin there for the next 10 years and now we fast forward to now and he's taken off at half time against Greece and doesn't even feature uh yesterday. I mean it's uh that's that's a bit worrying that he's gone backwards like that. Hopefully he'll reverse out of this run of form. But yeah, I think I think that the next manager will look to will look to focus on the defense initially, I would say, and try and make us hard to beat again. Yeah, because Paul, I mean, in terms of like the style of play doesn't really change um, on Friday night from what it has been. What did change, of course, was the formation and moving to a back four. And yet um, some of the same vulnerabilities. And I might talk about how we were countered quite easily a little bit later on. But um, some of the same vulnerabilities defensively were there, even though the system itself uh, was changed and it was kind of packed with sort of midfielders and a couple of extra attacking midfielders in there. Yeah, um, listen, we caught them on the hop probably for the first five minutes by playing that formation. And really, when you reflect on the game, it, it might have played out a little differently if we'd taken one of those opportunities that either Smallbone or Ferguson had, and maybe the, the layout of the game might have changed. But once Greece sort of got to grips with the the four at the back that we were playing, they were able to dictate things. And I guess what worried me a bit on that night, we, we all spoke about how flat it was kind of entering the ground. The performance was very flat. I just thought we were very easy to play with or play against with and without the ball. Like when Greece had the ball, you know, you don't see any real sort of pressure on the team when they're in possession, particularly when in our final third, it seems very easy to play against. They always seem to have an extra man get carved open on a number of times. Even if you look at the goals or the chance when Bazunu touched the ball over the bar, we seem to be, chasing back and we don't seem to have any sort of real pressure on the ball and that's a big worry because if you go back and on previous years at least we were a difficult team to play against and we kept a number of clean sheets that seems to have gone out the door and then when you look at us when we're in possession of the ball 
I think we're poorly set up, if you ask me, and you could maybe lean on saying that at times we may be poorly coached, um, particularly when our two centre-halves have the ball. Everything in front of us is so static. When you're up in, in probably the gods of the stands, you probably get a, a real kind of bird's-eye view of it. Two centre midfielders, Brown and Cullen, stood still. Small ball not moving. Ferguson wasn't moving. And then you had Jason Knight, who's not a, a natural wide man, Benick, kind of just static. And it's very hard as a centre-half then to pick out a pass or play through the thirds like Stephen, I'm sure, would want to. And what ends up happening is goes into Brown or Cullen. Because it's so flat and because it's so static, there's no sort of interchange combinations. There's no ideas on how to create space. It goes back to the centre-half. It goes to a fullback, And then that invites the press for Greece to then squeeze up the pitch and ultimately turn over the ball. So it's very hard to understand what it is we're trying to do both in and out of possession. And if you kind of rewind back to some of Stephen's earlier games, you always felt like there was a bit of an idea of what it is we were trying to do. So I don't know what's happened in that period of two, three years. Maybe the players have lost a bit of faith or a bit of confidence in the fact that maybe they can play that way and get results. Or is it a case that, listen, it just needs somebody to come in and put a fresh touch on things? Because at this moment in time, it is very hard to understand whether or not we're trying to play out or are we trying to play off Evan and then win second balls and then begin our attack from there? There doesn't seem to be any sort of patterns to our game and we're not creating chances against oppositions like Greece or Holland or France and ultimately we're conceding a lot of goals and when you do that, you ain't going to win a lot of football matches. Yeah, and what you're saying about the engine room there, do you feel it's more a case that some of the players that are in there, that's not their natural game to build out from the back and that's the issue or is it more just that um, actually maybe they have that in their locker but it's not being communicated well I think I definitely think it's it's a balance of the two we definitely don't have technical players who are going to go in and dictate the tempo of a game like other nations do and maybe Josh Cullen is more of a, a six who's going to play in front of a back four and sweep up and cut out balls that go into centre forwards feet that said Josh Cullen's capable of passing the ball I think Jamie McGrath when he plays in there is, is capable of dealing with the ball when it's at his feet and picking out passes like anybody who plays in the middle of the park doesn't grow up or play in their team just to run about at some point you're going to have to put your foot in the ball and, and create a pass but I just think even when our center halves get on the ball there's no sort of idea of what it is we're trying to do how we're going to create that space and how we're going to get a combination last Friday night between Brown, Cullen and Smallbone. There was nothing, absolutely nothing. Now that does somewhat go back to the players, but I still think with the group that we have and in previous games that we've played, we've shown a bit more, but that just seems to have been sucked out of us um, in recent times. And I'm not saying that you roll it out from Bazunu and play. There's nothing wrong every so often just turning the opposition and playing a little higher up the pitch. Once again, at some point, you're going to have to get the ball down and play and have little interchanges. We saw a small bit of it last night with Ogbeni and Matt Doherty. Saw a small bit of that on, on Friday night when Ogbeni picks up a ball and he's quite direct. But in, in regards to, you know, particularly the middle of the pitch or even combinations off Evan, I'm seeing very, very little. Yeah, and uh, just on the defensive side as well then, um, where we keep getting caught on the counter, which is how kind of Greece uh, cut through us on, on Friday night. Are we lacking a bit of athleticism and, I suppose, even physical size and speed in the centre of the park? Well, Alan Brown, that's that's what he gives you in abundance. To be fair to him, he's he's very dynamic and athletic and he covers the ground quite well. I think it's a case that at times we're maybe getting caught out on transitions whereby we cough up the ball and there seems to be huge gaping holes everywhere. Um. Yeah, it's, it's a hard one to kind of put your finger on too much, but I always feel that like when the other team are in possession of the ball. 
we're not engaging in a press. We're not sort of shuffling them one side to then try press the ball. It seems very easy to kind of get out and in between our players and maybe little um little pockets of spaces are, are showing up, particularly in front of our back four. So I don't know if that's a case of you know sitting too deep or is it a case that there's just not great communication between the back four and the two in front. It's hard to put your finger on, but it, it does seem that whenever we're playing, whether it be in wide areas, whether it be through the middle, teams are carving us apart. And there's no coincidence when you when you rewind back through games that teams are scoring from outside the box because we drop deeper and deeper and deeper. And at no point does anybody seem to be engaging to go press the ball. Like our fullbacks are probably a little slow to go press the ball. Our wingers aren't doubling up with our fullbacks to give them a dig out. Centre midfielders seem to, Josh Cullen always seems to be stretched. There seems to be so much space that he has to cover. And whether it be wide players dropping into central areas, we just don't seem to be able to deal with it. So there, there seems to be a disconnect, ref between our, our back four, our midfield and our forward players, both with and without the ball. And that would bring me back to what is it that we're trying to do? Like, I appreciate international managers don't get a huge amount of time to work with the team. But if you rewind back to when we played Greece away from home, we went to Turkey and we had two weeks and still no evidence of it. And I feel like we're kind of another couple of months down the line and still no real understanding of what it is we're trying to do both in and out of possession. Yeah, and David, I mean, you've played under Stephen Kenny when he was at Dundalk with great success and obviously the rhythm of club management and international management in terms of working on specific uh, issues within a team, it's it's a completely different um, animal. So in terms of Stephen and how he would deal with, say, maybe if there is a disconnect within a team and trying to solve issues um, when he was at Dundalk, like how would he go about it and like how much time would that generally take? I think one point to make is I think Stephen's first year in the dock, they, they played a diamond. Um, he then signed Daryl Horgan and I think Daryl Meenan and went to 4-2-3 and that was the formation that kind of stuck. I don't think he's ever been fixated on one formation and that's the only way. I know people have mentioned, obviously, his time in the dock generally was 4-3-3 when there were good runs in Europe. and So why didn't he play that with Ireland? I think anybody who looked at the Ireland team at least three or four years ago saw we had strong centre-halves you know, we had, we had Seamus Coleman and Matt Doherty. Matt Doherty was flying at the time. You had to try to get both of them into the team. I think generally it would have been accepted that that was the formation to go with. Um, that maybe has changed over the years. And, and perhaps being international football, maybe Stephen was hesitant to change it because of that, that you don't have enough time to to really get into the nitty gritty of, of formations. And if he's been doing that for three or four years, stick with it. But I think one thing about him is he, he wouldn't be afraid to make that change, but perhaps it was a little bit too late. I think from his time in the dock, it was all about the wingers getting forward, overlapping, or sorry, the fullbacks getting forward and overlapping the wingers and creating opportunities that way. And I think that's what we would have worked on all the time, um, how to get your wingers into the game. And that worked so well. It it was kind of frustrating from from my point of view, watching in, knowing Stephen and knowing what, what, we, what I felt could be achieved. And maybe we didn't quite have the wingers at the time, three or four years ago to do that. And um, look, I think ultimately formations aren't everything you have to accept you know you play the way you do with the with the players you have available and I think ultimately in the three or four years we just haven't produced enough cohesive performances to to, to you know Didi spoke about in the interview there like our biggest win is a 3-0 against Scotland that shouldn't really be a surprise for an Irish team to, to perform at home and beat Scotland 3-0 albeit Scotland are going very well we, we were so close in many games to to be leading Portugal and to to concede two late goals and to lose that match 
um, even games against Serbia. I was looking back through the groups um, yesterday. You know, we finished behind Wales, Finland, um, Scotland, Ukraine. We've never, we've never really put it up to to bigger teams. And I think that will be the biggest disappointment is, um, you know, to, to not be able to beat the team. Whatever about losing to France, I don't think. And I think even if this group, if we'd finished third um, behind Holland and France, I don't think anybody would have any qualms with that. It's the fact that we're, we're way off Greece even. I think that's the difficulty for people to generally accept. And, um, you know, we probably don't have the, the strongest Irish squad at the moment, but still you expect to be competing with teams like Wales, with Finland, with Greece, with Scotland. And, and the, the matter of fact is we just haven't done that over the last three or four years. Yeah, and Stephen has also been very protective of the players. I think the players also, in the other way, it's been kind of mutual as well. They've uh, they've backed him. But, you know, when there's mistakes made on pitch, what's um, how does he generally deal with that, those sort of situations? Um, I know, cl- again, club and international are a very different animal, but um, generally, does it, is it something kind of immediately dealt with there and then, or is it a quiet word? Yeah, no, Steve, like if there's issues on the pitch and people aren't doing what Stephen expects, he'll certainly let them know straight away. Um and he'd be quick to, to pull the video up and show goals and show mistakes and try and make sure they don't happen again. I know we've spoken there about not keeping enough clean sheets. I think that will, as much as he's an attack-minded coach, or, you know, that would be his ethos, I believe. But, you know, he still would hammer home the fact you need to keep clean sheets, and we haven't done that. And uh, Connor's point's probably valid. We'd have gone away on trap and played a dire nil-nil, and we'd probably all have given out about it. But ultimately, we, we might have been in the group till the last minute. Um, so look, I think it's it's how we probably move forward here from the FAI's point of view. I, like I know, I think it was Shay brought up the point about the sponsor. I don't think the sponsor has anything to do with Stephen. I think he's been unbelievably well supported in the stadium. I think season ticket sales have been have been brilliant. I think generally attendances have been really good. He he has that that's the side of Stephen. His man management, is, he's kind of well capable of bringing a crowd behind him. And I think the country was behind him for a long period. Um. But you know how does how the FAI move forward from this? We feel I feel personally we're in a bit of a stalemate. It's a little bit like the Vera situation. You know, make a decision and let's move on, whatever it might be. And I think now I know we have two games um, next month, but whether we wait to see those games out, hopefully, and and make a strong decision then from the FAI's point of view. And 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 you know, season ticket sales and things are up for grabs again. I've uh, got my email the other day, so you need to make positive positive news stories to make sure that. We don't lose any momentum, even though performances haven't been great. Yeah, and I suppose a final point on, on all this, Connor. I mean, again, it's the looming Nations League in terms of the, the rankings uh, to try and get into a playoff. And uh, the match next month, I know you, you were uh, you were looking up sort of the, the permutations of whether... Uh, well, whether, uh, yeah, I mean... You know, I whether whether losing to the Dutch would here. help us. But but again, yeah, yeah, you texted me something there yesterday as well. But I don't think uh, it's a gore. I don't think it's No, a no, it's not a gore anymore. It's irrelevant because the Dutch are now in pole position for uh, to qualify qualify directly. So that takes it out of our hands. And the way it stands um, at the end of the day, Albania and Romania doing well in their groups has been hugely detrimental for us. And then you're looking at Group D where Turkey have, uh, have qualified directly, which has, again, meant Wales or Croatia have to battle for the final automatic place. And then one of them has to, to go into a playoff then. And then they need Israel. We need Israel, I mean, to finish above Romania. But... Obviously, the ongoing situation in the Middle East means um, Israel's games for the moment have been postponed. So we don't know what's happening with that. And then you need the uh, you need the miracle of 
Iceland, uh, Iceland beating Slovakia and then beating Portugal and hoping that Bosnia beat uh, beat the Slovakians in their final group. So there's, but again, even on top of that as well, then Norway, um, Norway would be the first beneficiaries. All an right. extra spot yeah, opened up yeah. before us. We're not out of it, but it's infinitesimal. Are but you I, writing all this down? I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, no, I, did, I did a thesis on it yeah. last night, so I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm on top of it. But uh, I suppose the final point, Connor, is that the uh, this all dates back to poor performances in the Nations League, and yeah. that is why we're ranked as low as 26th, and why I think it's a 0.01% chance of uh, getting the playoff place. Yeah, well, well, I'm glad it doesn't come down to us potentially losing to Holland because you know people would have smelled a rat if that happened. You know, if we'd lost in in Amsterdam, you know, what's going on here? Uh, no, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes back. I mean, particularly the Armenia, the Armenia away game. I mean, if Ireland had won that, I pres- presumably they'd have been ranked. I mean, I'm not sure. You, you, no doubt you're going to tell me. Uh, where we would have been ranked if if we'd beaten Armenia or got a draw against Ukraine. Don't worry about it. But yeah, I mean, and I hadn't got to that point. <laughs> I mean, it was interesting. There was a burst of form uh, in late twenty twenty one, and there was kind of I know Stephen was touting the stat about how we'd we'd lost one one game in ten or something around that time, which was slightly parsed and slightly selective stat, but. Uh, yeah, and and he kind of got the new contract on the strength of that, and made this bold proclamation about us winning the Nations League uh, group, which okay, I wouldn't criticise him for for making the prediction, but uh, obviously when it didn't happen, I mean, there can be little complaint about it afterwards when we finish third in the group and lose three of the six matches. Um, yeah, I mean that was despite. I mean, we did have the Scotland performance in the middle of that, which. Struck me as a more up and atom kind of display from Ireland. I mean, I think I think we probably do play a bit better when it's a bit more of a high high energy type performance. I mean, I think that is the way that is the way we could do it. I mean, I listening to Paul talking about how when the game is very static and set, we seem to have no way of breaking through the teams. I mean, the ball gets into midfield and then it gets shifted sideways and it doesn't progress, and other teams then push up on us and. You know, we seem to have the worst of both worlds. This this way, this approach, we're not we're not breaking through anyone, and we're leaving ourselves more open than we we had in previous time. But uh, yeah, uh, that nation's league will be costly, and it shows the importance of it, I suppose. Ultimately, that we uh, losing to Armenia. I mean, it felt costly at the time, and boy, has it proved it. Yeah, well, we might get to Euro 2028, although, again, UEFA haven't confirmed uh, how the qualification process is supposed to happen, so we'll have, we'll have to wait on that. Maybe they'll have a, they'll hold it out for three of the hosts and we just have to beat Northern Ireland and Wales or something. <laughs> okay, well, at least there's something to hang our hat on. But, uh, Jonathan, uh, we did want to also talk about the, uh, the Women's Premier Division because that has been confirmed in terms of who the winner is, and it is P-Mount. Uh, champions for the fourth time and the third time under James O'Callaghan and uh, of course that was after beating Wexford 2-0 um, and then uh, the other game uh, at the weekend as well Cork City beating uh, Treaty United 1-0 as well so let's listen to Karen Duggan first and then we'll uh, we'll get your thoughts on this Jonathan. Karen a massive congratulations uh, I suppose you're wrecked now after that big long season. <laughs> Yeah, it's been, I'd say, the longest season in history. Um, I've aged about 20 years from when we first started pre-season, but it's all worth it in the end. Talk to me a little bit about the emotions, I suppose, on the pitch there when everyone's coming together and you just have finally got over the line. 
Yeah, it was incredible. I didn't think I would be as emotional. I wouldn't really be known for that. But yeah, like you said, it's been a really long season and every time we've come out this season, it was like we were playing for more than a win. You know, we're, we know that there's a change in landscape in the league and we maybe don't fit the brand because we're not affiliated to a men's team now. But P-Men United has always been a club that championed women's football and no matter what the future holds, like this is for everyone in the club, all the hard work they've put in. And if you even look throughout the season, all the players we lost, not, not the beginning of the season, like injuries and stuff like that, it was the underage girls coming through. They were the difference in the end, the likes of Ellen Dolan, Freya Healy and Jess Fitzgerald. And, I'm so, so happy for everyone in the club. They, everyone deserves this. And like I said, it's, it's literally for everyone in the club. Did you feel like you had a big role to play in that with the young players coming in and all your experience to try and nurture them and, you know, bring them through step by step to finally get to here? I don't know about that. I mean, I think they're well capable. Um, but yeah, I suppose my role has changed a bit. I maybe don't have the legs, but I still have plenty to say. So I'm, I'm saying, uh, like, I, I, I've worked well with James. We kind of have a good understanding of what my role is. And basically, it's just keeping them going. And, like, they do the rest. So they're, they're unbelievable talents coming through. And they're certainly names that people are going to know about in the next few years. You might get a rest now for the remaining games, will you? Well, I'll certainly be taking training off this week, I tell you that much. Uh, yeah, we're going to enjoy tonight and we'll see what happens. Obviously, there's another break in the league, but... Or we're going to look at it as two extra weeks to celebrate, to be honest. I think we deserve it. All right, so that is Karen Duggan, Piedmont United captain, also regular RT soccer analyst uh, as well, speaking to TG Cahar after the win over Exford, which of course confirmed the league title. And um, as she touched on there, Jonathan, they were coming into this season with uh, the looming threat of Shamrock Rovers, having lost some key players like Anya O'Gorman and Stephanie Zambra to, um, to them as well. And yet they've actually sort of won this league at a canter. Yeah, it's a, it's a remarkable achievement really for, for James and, and everyone at Piedmont because they did look like a club that um, they had been one of the mainstays of the women's division as Karen has touched on there. But they felt like the rug was being pulled underneath them and a, a couple of different avenues. It's first, obviously the big game changer in women's football this year was not only the reintroduction of Shamrock Rovers back into the division, but also um, professional contracts been allowed. It felt like the two of those were almost, uh, you know, they came at the same time together and that was a double whammy really. And But it was interesting both in terms of the cup, um, which was Shells versus Ro Rovers. We'll probably touch on that a little bit as well. But Piemont against Rovers as well. Shamrock Rovers would have um, would have taken a number of players from both the camps, but predominantly the big heavy hitters in the game in recent years. Um, but to, to do that uh, and to win it in the style, particularly after some of the disappointments they've had in the last couple of years. Shells obviously won it last year. Um, did that big game out in out in Newcastle. Then you think back to a couple of years ago where Piedmont had the, pretty much the celebrations done and it was the, the Goey Women's FC at the time that stung them on the last day and you had that crazy scenes where the trophy went from, from one side of town to another. But it, it's remarkable. And I thought Karen's interview was, was very notable there. Like, it's, as she's touched on, not being affiliated with a men's team seems to be the way forward. You look at what's happened, like in my own book, Club of Go United, the two coming under the same umbrella, Shamrock Rovers as well. That seems to be the way forward for the year, for the, the way the league wants to try and go. And there is benefits of having that synergy. And we've obviously seen the benefits in Galway in, in terms of shared facilities and the one club mantra. And Galway United has been a big success in the, in the women's game uh, this year, winning the All-Ireland League. And then you know, a, a pretty good showing in the first season. But Piemont felt like, I think it's important that they're not just pushed away because as she touched on rightly there as well, the underage success 
and that conveyor belt, despite losing the big names like Tonya Gorman and Stephanie Zamber, still not getting used to, to calling her that, but it's um like to mainstays and, and other other players to go as well. Uh, and to rebuild, and then you know, Ella Dolan come on scoring two to the la the, the victory there to wrap up the league. It's a huge, huge moment, and that'll probably be the sweetest of the lot for really for, for everyone in payment. And I suppose Shells had the, the softener of watching the, the league title go, but still getting uh, the victory over Shamrock Rovers again. You talk about the the, the change in landscape, you know, five out of the six that Rovers bought off Shells or moved from Shells to um. To Tala, and um, played played in the game. Only Abby Larkin, probably the most high profile of them all, who's since moved on and still to get that result. That's another result. That's you know, there's been touchy couple of games in the league recently between the pair, but um, to be back in Lou, it's 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 so I would love to have been able just to picture the emotions of the squad, no king and the squad to Lou to know that the league was gone. That to be fair, they probably knew it was going to happen and it was, but to have that gone and then to win and get to the final in the manner that they did. Got the, the full spectrum of football emotions. We talk about the, the the avalanche and the career belt that has been under Stephen Kenny, but football there on that day alone uh, has just been a bit crazy, hasn't it? Yeah, and, and, and you know, we're coming up to another uh, international window for the women's as well. And as Karen Duggan mentioned there, there are a lot of young players coming through at P-Mount and I'm sure across the league. And you mentioned a couple of them there already as well. But um, who were the players that should be looked out for or sort of coming on to the radar at the moment? Well, the goal probably highlighted, but Hannah Healy for for Shells as well is is another one, and Shells have done remarkably well. Like it's, it's almost indescribable, really, how good Shells have continued to keep things going, and continue to be at the at the top of the like fighting for for both titles. Like they seem to be continuously lose their players. Yeah, um, it just seems to be almost not quite the model there, but they're able to react like other clubs would fall to bits after losing so many players. And it's happened regularly and regularly and they're always able to to, to get more uh, people on board, like to, particularly the Abbey Larkin, the emotion of that. And you saw tweets and you saw a very public fallout from it to, to give the most hypo example, but how they're still able to keep the convertible going. And that's the good thing about the league as a whole. Um, I think it's been a real breakthrough for the league, I think qualifying for the World Cup has given women's football a, a public platform and maybe opened it. I go back to the start, the rugby versus football, but women's football has been the talking point in terms of general sports fans, particularly in the World Cup. And it's important now that the league will push on, and they seem to have done that. And it's great as well, without going over it again. But there's so many players in the Irish squad that have been in the league, quite are in the league, and then quite recently, and there is that tangible there for fans. And there's so much talent coming through. The, like, look at just look across the array of all all, all clubs in, in the country, and um, so that's really exciting. And well, though that the title is wrapped up now, there's still, you know, the cup final to look forward to. Um, that will be exciting. Athlone, pretty much in a in a year where you felt like they were going to push on after they were like pretty much went down the last day of the you know under Tommy Hughes, they went down to the last day fighting for the title. Um, missed out on both trophies in the end and then had a real fall off and another one of the the ex-Dundalk mafia there Kieran Kilduff as well get things going get into the into the final as well and that's already going to be exciting finally you'd imagine Shells will be hot favourites but Athlone will probably have a bit of a spice they've nothing left in terms really of the league they're in seventh at the moment um, they're already probably looking at the rebuild it's another one of these clubs that um, the future seems to be 
uh, a little bit exciting unknown depending on what way you want to look at it in terms of um, uh, ownership and, and new investment etc but you know that's going to be a really exciting cup final to look forward to as well but yeah no women's football is in a great spot at the moment can I just ask uh, Jonathan there, I mean, uh, as someone who's followed it closely, was there a huge amount of hostility to Shamrock Rovers in the league this year that you... Uh, it appeared, it appear, I don't want to speak as a public um, spokesperson for, for the rest of the league, but they did. And um, particularly, I think the fallout was quite quite open, wasn't it? And uh, particularly with Rovers, Shamrock Rovers and that, it, it changed. I guess it meant... Um, look, Irish, men or women, Irish football is by and large is a, is a pretty... Uh, Financially right. tight, tight location. Really, you're you're like, a, how do you make money in Irish football? You probably qualify for Europe, uh, or you probably sell your best players, um, talent through the academy. Um, aside from that, it's quite difficult. It's um, I think it's penny pitching, uh, quite around the league. And then Rovers haven't been able to offer full time contracts, and for the two of them to align made life a little bit more difficult. And the fact then that they understandably. Were able to cherry pick the best of the talent. Look at the their two biggest rivals who they were able to take from, and uh, I think uh, for me, it was the, I know she's m- since moved on, but the Abby Larkin deal to be able to take such a talent like that, you know, you're talking about a genuine superstar and will be a superstar of the game to to be able just to move across cross town from one rival to another. I think really indicates that, and yeah, there probably would be a bit of hostility, but like what's football without hostility <laughs> at the same time as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, the, the cup final you mentioned, uh, Athlone Town, of course, uh, beating Sligo Rovers 4-0 in their semi-final, and then uh, Shelburne beating Shamrock Rovers 2-0. And the uh, date final is the 19th of November kickoff at uh, 2 p.m. And also in terms of the men's uh, Premier Division, we've got Shamrock Rovers against Cork City on RT2 and the RT player on Monday, uh, this Monday coming, October 23rd. And uh, St. Pat's uh, against uh, Shamrock Rovers will be on the uh, same channels on Friday, 27th of October. And then the fixtures on the 20th, it's uh, Derry City against Shelburne, Sligo Rovers against Dundalk, UCD against Cork City, Bowes against uh, Pats, Shamrock Rovers against Strada. That last one is an 8 p.m kickoff that's uh this friday and then of course monday as i said the shamrock rovers cork city game being live on rte um and then uh same time both half 7 p.m kickoff same pats against ligo rovers and uh paul looking at this i mean bows and pats uh this friday and also Derry shells is going to be huge for uh the battle to finish in europe yeah not only that we'll get a bit of a a rehearsal ahead of the, of the, head of the final yeah. final yeah so it'll be interesting to see <clears throat> How, how that one pans out. I mean, Bowes have been particularly quite strong in Daily Bound Park in recent months, and they seem to have picked up a bit of form. Um, even, you know, the likes of Dylan Connolly and Ali Coote seem to have, have really picked up in recent weeks, and that's kind of boding well when you've got somebody in such red-hot form as Jonathan Afalabi. So I'm sure they'll be trying their utmost, Raf, to kind of just continue that good, a good run of form that they're on at the moment, and it's going to pr- prove like a massive game in the run-in for, for Europe and, and that third spot, because if either of those sides were to potentially lose on the weekend and if Shells were to pick up at three points, it becomes even more interesting uh, again. So it's it's probably a game that if you're Jonathan Daly or Declan Devine, you just don't want to lose. Uh, just kind of nab your way a little closer to that third, third spot and hope that, you know, Shells drop and the four teams pick up European football. But it's it's also one where you want to bring as much form as you possibly can into the FAI Cup final at the end of the season. So it'll be a really tricky game. Uh, I actually think the two teams are quite even. I don't think Pats have played particularly well in recent weeks, but have managed to pick up results. The FAI Cup semi-final will be the perfect example of that. And 
it it will be interesting. Um, I would I would fancy Bowes to be honest, which I think Bowes are probably in a little bit better form. Jonathan Afalabi just gives them a chance in every game they play, and with that home crowd and the momentum that I think they have behind them, I think that could be a game where Bowes could come out on top. Yeah, and David, I mean, for Shamrock Rovers, um, there's a possibility they'd be co- they could be uh, sealing the title live on on RT um, next Monday when they play Cork. But but first off, obviously they have to get past Drada this Friday, and uh, Drada tend to be a bit of a bogey team for them. So it's it's obviously going to be even though it's a Tala, it's going to be uh, tricky enough. Yeah, I think those the, the teams lower on the table probably call Shamrock Rovers more bother this year than. Um... Then the ones higher up, you know, they've struggled against Strada, um, against Cork, and even obviously a draw with UCD the other week. So, but you know, they're four points ahead with a game in hand. Um, you know, four games for them to go. I, I think the, the title is all but sealed. And although their results against Strada haven't been great, I'd probably expect them to go and, and win on on Friday. And if that doesn't seal things, then yeah, I'd expect by Monday they'll have it wrapped up. And they'd be nowhere near their best this year. Um. You know, they've been much better in the last couple of years prior to this one, um, but they're still going to win the title. And I think whenever they needed to, to put in a big performance to just keep their, their head above the rest, they've, they've done that this year. And um, they'll be worthy champions, albeit they haven't done it in the same style as they have probably in the last three years. Yeah, and in the first division, obviously, we're coming up to the uh, the final round of fixtures uh, in terms of the, the league season. And we know the, the playoff dates already. And most of the teams that are going to be in the playoffs are, are confirmed. Obviously, Galway promoted already. Waterford uh, uh, in uh, taking second place. Cove um, being third as well. Wexford uh, taking fourth. And then the last spot to be decided is uh, Athlone, who occupied the final playoff place. But uh, Longford could help deny them. And also... Uh, that would uh, open the door for Treaty United more more likely, but also even Bray Wanderers mathematically as well. But um, interestingly, Connor um, <laughs> at Lone are playing Longford in the final round of games, and as a proud Longford man, I'm sure uh, you know you'd be uh, well, not you yourself, but I mean uh, your fellow county men and Longford Town fans would be willing at Lone on to to finish the job and uh, uh, Midland, <laughs> take that Midland. final place. <laughs> Midland solidarity has never been much in <laughs> So so I expected, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I whether they're able to or not, I don't know. I mean it's 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 a tall order to miss these playoffs that Lomford appear to have managed it this year. Uh I thought they might get a special dispensation for being the only team to beat Galway in the league. Not <laughs> not not once, but twice, in fact. So yeah, um, that was the only bright spot of another an otherwise uh, grim season. Um, maybe maybe denying Athlone and sickening them like that will be a uh, will be something else to add to take from twenty twenty three. Yeah, and I suppose for uh, Paul Waterford will be waiting to find out which one of those teams, whether it is Athlone or whether um it is Treaty or even the uh, the more unlikely uh, Bray Wanderers um getting that fifth place. But they themselves have been um their form has been a little bit up and down in, in recent times. I mean, just looking at their run, uh, defeats to Galway and Go- and Cove recently, and then draws with Kerry and Wexford, and the only uh, victory uh, punctuated uh, punctuating that was a three 0 over Longford, so uh, Waterford are Waterford will be favourites um, to go through the playoffs once it starts, but it's a uh, their form would need to pick up. Yeah, you'd still have to fancy them. You you probably think that once Galway pulled away, that maybe there wasn't a huge amount for Waterford to play for in the sense that they were never really going to be caught from behind and they weren't going to be able to to catch Galway. But everything we said about the FAI Cup final and heading into that with four momentum behind you is absolutely the case when you head into playoffs. How many times do you see it within playoff situations whereby 
the team who just managed to, to scramble their way into the final playoff spot causes a massive sort of a curveball and, and beats the team who finished, you know, whether it be second or third in the division. So it's one where you're, if you're Waterford, you just want to really focus on, on your last fixture and make sure that you do everything you can possible to set yourself up for that kind of semi-final game. And listen, if, if Treaty were to, to nick that last spot, they're coming in, in in quite good form. They've won a, a couple of games in recent weeks. I'm sure they wouldn't mind taking a pop off Waterford, but you would still, you know, just looking at the teams and the players that are involved in those squads, you would still fancy Waterford to come out of that first division side. Whether or not they'll have enough to, to beat, which is likely Cork, we will wait and see. But it is one where their form has been patchy of late. You just want to get things right this weekend and then focus on the next game ahead. But don't be surprised if there is a, a bit of a, an upset in those playoff games. There typically is. Um, whether that be Waterford or one of the other sides, we'll wait and see. Yeah, and now while there was plenty of takeover talk over uh, considering Manchester United and stuff happening over in the Premier League over here, there's actually been a couple of movements as well. So uh, Treaty United, there's a Canadian investment firm called Tricorps uh, Pacific Capital who are taking uh, joint ownership. And that story was broken by David Snaid in the 42 last week. And the key figure here is current Treaty player Kira McCormick, uh, who is going to be uh, a co-owner of the club. And that will also make her the first female chief executive in the League of Ireland she's Canada born but uh, was previously capped for the Republic of Ireland and then Drada United also have provisionally accepted a takeover from the US owners of Walsall the uh, Trivola group and um, David having been part of a club where there was a takeover um, with Dundalk and Peak Six previously um, maybe the Drada case is prob- probably the more um, is probably the more interesting case in terms of this multi-club uh, model and you, it's it I suppose it's going to be interesting to see where the League of Ireland clubs fit in within that model because of course usually there's um like with Shelburne and Hull City that dynamic is kind of interesting to watch and I suppose with Drada and the other clubs are going to be attached to that's going to be interesting to watch as well. Yeah, hopefully it works out for Drada. I mean, I know when Peak Six came into Dundalk, you know there was um, a lot of skepticism, and uh, probably rightly so. And I think it'll be the same in Drada. And um, I think a lot of League of Ireland fans have been burnt badly in the past, so it's it's probably good that people go in with their eyes wide open. And um, in terms of the model, you know, I think it can probably work out reasonably well for Irish clubs. Like if you look at, at, at Aiden Shells, you know, and they're, they're kind of link up there with Hull, they've, they've probably benefited from that with a couple of loan players. And um, I think ultimately League of Ireland players or League of Ireland clubs are going to lose players to, to the English leagues. And um, if you take Jack Moylan, for example, he's still going to move, whether that's to Hull or to Lincoln, obviously, um, you know, so be it. He's, he's going to make that move eventually if he's performing well enough. So, um, having that link to, to to clubs in the UK can hopefully can hopefully benefit Irish clubs and in terms of getting players and um, I'm sure that's the way Drada will obviously be looking at it and I think financially it, it might help them out from where they've been they've obviously done Kevin Doherty's done an incredible job there um, you know he he'd be crying out for investment to build on what what he's achieved so far and um, I said hopefully it's it's a it's a good news story and we're not looking back in three years or four years like we might have been with Peak Six. Yeah, and I almost forgot that. And obviously, we were talking before um the the semi final, the FAI Cup semi final for uh, Galway United, but um obviously 
Bohemians uh, bet them in that and uh, obviously, well, Bohemians that were down to 10 men, but in terms of the mood in Galway now, with the there's obviously just the one game um, left and obviously would have been great for the club, I'm sure, to to get to a cup final after waiting so long, but I presume everything is still sort of extremely rosy uh, regardless in terms of the mood and everything else. Oh, very much is. It's in the midst, really, of, of planning the, the presentation on, on Friday night now after the Wexford game. Um, certainly been a long time coming around um, I think the Bowes game was maybe a little bit of a, not quite a reality check, that's too strong a word, but it, it shows the gulf between the two divisions um, and it shows what improvements will be needed for Galway United next season. I think there's multiple examples of teams that have come come up and almost come straight back down down again if you don't invest and not just investment in terms of financial everything to, to get right because there there is a big step up and it'll be more difficult. Uh, next season, now I better correct you before I get Lynch back home. Ruth Fahey was CEO of the Galway Women's FC for for some time as well, so she had that role. So I'll be lynched if, if I don't put that one in. But um, yeah, no, it's the exciting times. Um, it's going to be a, you imagine it'll be busy now. It'll be should be big celebrations. Um, the only positive thing to come out of the defeat to the uh, to the All Blacks it means that we've a clean run. It would have been a direct clash with the with the semi final. So. No excuses for for everyone around Galway to get down for the presentation, but yeah, no, it's it should be exciting. It's a lot, certainly a long time coming. I know the ninety three team are, are due to be down there as well, which which is a nice touch. But yeah, there's no the the thing about it is with football, there's no time to be emotional. I imagine it'll be have the celebration and then get get planning for next year. What will be a big big jump up uh, in class and get some things right. The playoff fixture as well, just to touch on that as well. I I, I was down in Treaty um, on Saturday for that game. I think they're a little bit off. It was quite funny at once, not quite funny, but it shows again the emotions of football at one stage. Galway were winning comfortably 2 0, and then Treaty got one back. And at the same time, they were still celebrating that goal and it was right out in the PA system. The result or the current, the Athlone being trailing Finn Harps 4 0. So there was a moment of, of hope there and excitement that is playoff football. Ultimately, Galway pushed on, but the Longford result against Bray, like Bray should be coming into this last round of games here now, having a chance they got caught. Was it 96? Connor, you'll probably correct me there. The uh, the late lady equaliser for, for, for Longford, and it looks like Bray have, have blown it there now. They would take a, a bit of a unique circumstance of results. I suppose they do have an outside chance, but Athlone are, are they're in free fall at the moment, as are Waterford. So if Athlone do come in, it's going to be quite the challenge. You'd imagine Cove will be Wexford in the other one, but I still think whoever comes out of that will 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 be too short against Cork ultimately. But playoff football is such a it's so exciting to look forward to. And as a purely biased maroon tinted glasses, I'm just glad that Galway United aren't in it for once after all the heartbreak in recent years. Yeah, so uh, obviously we'll see how that all uh, plays out on uh, Friday. And also just wanted to mention uh, thoughts with the family of former Ireland Brighton striker Jerry Ryan, who died age 68 at the weekend. He would have won 18 Ireland caps in his time and scored the goal which sealed Albion's promotion to the top flight that season and played in the 1983 FA Cup final against Manchester United. And later he would also be assistant to Liam Brady at Brighton. And uh, that's it for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week. Uh, remember, you can watch, listen, um, as well as subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And Jonathan, thanks a mil for coming on. Connor, same to you. And Paul and David as well. Thanks, Raph. Thanks, Raph. Yeah.